Well, it's great to be with you this morning. So let's be honest. How many of you really thought Barry was on vacation this week? <laughs> it happens. I know. Like, I know. Uh, many of you may not remember me, or, or you may, my family attend here. Uh, but I am John Brown. I'm, I'm the executive director at the Methodist Foundation. But before that, for 27 years, I was a lead pastor in the Mississippi Annual Conference, my last appointment being at Central and Meridian. Barry and I have been friends for years. And I appreciate the invitation that he gave me. Now, believe it or not, this wasn't a spur of the moment. Barry talked to me about this in the fall of, hey, I want to do this Lenten series, and you and me and Ben, and we'll all just you do it. And I was like, sign me up. I'm your guy on it. And it's a privilege to be here on this, on this great day. Uh, I also serve as a chaplain in the United States Army. I've done two combat tours in the Middle East uh, over that time. I've spent the last uh, 16 years uh, serving our nation in that capacity. I like to tell, especially youth ministers, if you want to know what it's like to be a chaplain in the U.S. Army, it's like youth ministers. That's the best way to, to, describe, to, to describe it. Uh, but today we start. But today is the, the, the Sunday that we start weaving together a story that changed the world. We began to, to see the fulfillment of three years of the work of the divine. And for three years, this Jesus guy who was a carpenter that has become a rabbi, he started to challenge everything that had been known and accepted. The religious leaders didn't like him because he started to question, hey, who really has the authority here? Who really says who's in and who's out in the kingdom of God? And Jesus challenged them, and they didn't like it. Caiaphas, the, the high priest, he wanted to maintain power. And very early in Jesus' ministry, they realized quickly, we've got to get rid of this guy. You know, He's either got to be one of us, or he's got to get out of the way. But Jesus, religious leaders, and you know what it was? Jesus could draw a crowd. And these crowds were gathering around Jesus. And they kept saying all through the Gospels, how do we get Jesus away from the crowd? If we can get him away from the crowd, then, we will, you know, then, then we'll have him. And they couldn't do it, so they said, well, we're going to start challenging him on his teachings. And you know how that went for them, didn't it? Every time the religious leaders would try to come up with something, and they would hit somebody up, and they'd say, hey, Barry, go say this. And Barry would say it, and Jesus would make them look foolish. And you know, So they were like, we've got to quit this. This is a bad tactic. You know, what can we do? Three years of fulfillment comes in, and they come up with the greatest plan that they thought they could have. They said, what if we can convince one of his own to give him to us? And they do. His name is Judas. And so the scenario that we begin this day, as we listen to the words from the cross, what we're hearing is the final moments of this rabbi who had come into the world telling him to do. And nobody could see it. Even, even those closest to him couldn't really see it, could they? But there's a lot of characters in Scripture that if, we were, if it were not for Jesus, we would have never heard about any of these people. You know? they're, they're a footnote. And the only reason that they're a footnote in history for us is because they bumped into this Messiah that changed everything for them. It's amazing, isn't it? This footnote. Well, this morning, we are looking at one of those footnotes, and we're just going to call him the criminal, okay? He's just a criminal. He didn't even have a name. We don't know any other names. At least, you know, some of them had names. But Luke, who writes this gospel for us, in the very beginning of his book, he tells people, he's like, hey, I've investigated this. 
He said, I went out, I got eyewitness reports. And the reason that I'm putting this together is so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has come to bring life. He said, this is the reason. And he said, it wasn't hearsay. I went to the people that were there. And the text that we have this morning has got to be, I think, probably one of Luke's greatest that he had, had ever heard. He probably told him, like, hey, tell me that again. <laughs> you know, say it one more time to me. So this really happened? This is the way it is? Wow. It's amazing. Well, I'm going to start out with two questions for you as we begin our, our time together. First of all, have you ever been caught doing something and you knew there was no way out? Have you ever had that happen to you? Barry's very transparent in his messages. It's what I love so much about him. So I'm going to help him out today. My, that's be on me, Barry. I'm not saying anything. My, my father was, uh, my father had a Pauline conversion in 1972, and he became a local pastor in the Methodist church in the early 80s. And uh, I came along late in my parents' life, and so all I ever knew was this godly, holy man of my father and uh, who he was. But I was also a preacher's kid, and maybe you haven't heard about us. Um, yeah, we hang out with your kids all the time. I mean, they were awesome. Uh, so, so there was my dad. We're, my dad's serving uh, our, our church. It's 1991. I can remember the year. My best friend, who still is my best friend until today, we're sitting around the parking lot at the church because, believe it or not, for some of those who are in here, in 1991, you didn't have cell phones. You visited, you know. I mean, you drove somewhere. You didn't text. You didn't. So we would always meet up at the church. It was a rural community. We would go hang out in the parking lot, and we would just chat and all that. And all of a sudden, the good idea fairy took hold of me. And I remember looking at Kai, and I said, you know what would be hilarious? He said, what, John? I said, you know, they just put that new Jehovah Witness sign up in town. And it hangs down, and it's just a hanging sign. And I said, we could get that. And put it on our youth minister's yard. That would be great. That'd be hilarious. Now, this was also a time before you had hired youth ministers. So our youth minister was not only our youth minister, but he was also over the Alpha Insurance Agency in Neshoba County. And we, so we came up, we concocted this plan. Kai, myself, and a cousin that I had. We waited late at night after midnight, took our trucks, went, undid the sign, put it in the back of the truck. Then we got scared because we didn't know what was going to happen. So we paused for a moment, but the good idea fairy kept pushing. And my cousin looked, and he said, we got to do this, John. And I said, yes, we do. So we drive, we sneak up to our youth minister's yard, and there we hang the sign up under the Alpha Insurance Agency sign. Jerry Cannon was his name. He walks out, he tells me that Saturday morning, and he says, Dear God, Jerry Cannon, Alpha Insurance Agent, Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. Right there. <laughs> we leave, we don't say anything. A few weeks go by. I walk into my house, Barry. My father sits in his chair where he always did, reading his Bible. And it was almost like a scene from, you know, uh, a river runs through it. And he looks up with his Bible, and he looks up at me, and he says, John, yeah, Pop, you know anything about a Jehovah's Witness sign? <laughs> well, you really have to have a, a good lie to tell, okay? If they catch you off guard, you know you're caught. 
And so I didn't have anything, so my look on my face, I mean, everything was like, you know, I was like, yeah, about that. <laughs> and as my children say, well, what happened was, you know, that's how they start their stories out. So I had to fess up, Kai had to fess up, my cousin had to fess up, and right now there is an official apology letter from, he wasn't Reverend John Branning at the time, but 17-year-old John Branning to the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah Witnesses in Neshoba County apologizing for taking your side, you know. So that's there. Have you ever had that feeling of being caught? There was no way out for me. I knew it. I didn't know what the punishment was going to be. I didn't know what was going to happen at that moment. But the, this is a story of redemption, though, so just to let you know. I did become a minister. Kai, my best friend, is the lay leader of his church. Well, two out of three is bad, so my other cousin didn't turn out so good. So, I, I, so I, but it's still a good, it's a good it's a story, a story of redemption. Now, here's my second question for you. Would you agree that not all things appear to, be the way, to, to really appear to be the way you think they are in the beginning? And the reason I say that is because what we find in this text is where a lot of non-believers are people who are marginal. And I know that, that in a crowd this big this morning, there, there are some of you here today that you're here because you were told if you don't show up, you're not eating lunch at my house today. You know? Or you didn't want to hear the nagging from your spouse. And you, know, you were like, well, I, I can't send the kids and I didn't want to go. And there's a lot of people that their life experience, when they come to a place like this, they, they're really struggling. They've got questions, and that's okay to have questions. That's why you're here. That's why you're welcome here. Bring all of them. Search before you buy. I've always realized that Jesus wasn't for everybody, but for those that he's for, he's everything. And so that's where we are this morning. There are people that, that in their life, they started out and they're like, hey, you know, maybe this doesn't appear to be like I want it to be. During the, uh, the pandemic, some of us had the great privilege of having our children who still are at home uh, put in uh, basically a hostage situation and we did online war, uh, school. I don't know if any of you experienced that. That was the worst, worst thing in my life, you know. I wanted to go back to Iraq. That was, I mean, it was that easy. I mean, that, that would have been simpler for me, like I said. And, but I, we would get, get our kids up. They're out of routine, and you're telling them, you're like, hey, you got to get up, get online, because one day this is going to make a difference in your life. And they would look, and they, our, my kids would be like, oh, Dad, this is boring. I know all this stuff already, you know. All this kind of, kind of things. And, and, and my wife and I can't look and say, hey, you don't realize that one day what you don't see as important will be important. It doesn't seem to be what you, you think that it is. And that's where we struggle. See, sometimes we confuse life with God. Do you know that? And let me explain. Sometimes we confuse life with God. And we say to ourselves, if our life is good, then God is what? Good. Well, if our life is bad, then God can't be so good. And matter of fact, we can even start keeping scorecards and start saying, hey, well, tell me, God, if you really are God and if you really have all this power and you have all this love and all this mercy and you're doing all these things, you need to tell me why my neighbor is advancing faster than I am because I still keep doing the same things they're doing. And maybe one time you had this prayer and you, you went to God and you said, God, I really want you to heal my dad of cancer. And it didn't happen. And you said, I'm done. Or maybe it was a series of events 
A series of disappointments. Maybe something happened with your family. Something happened at job. Something happened in your marriage. And you started to equate and you said, that preacher stands up every week and tells me how good God is. Why is my life not good? What's wrong? What's happening? The scene that we have today is a man who's been caught in a series of choices. We don't have his name. But what we do have is, is that, that he was considered to be an enemy of the empire. And crucifixion of all of the punishments was reserved for the worst of the worst. And it's not that the Romans didn't really mind killing folks because that wasn't a big deal to them. But they would have really rather have done it in a different way. They would have loved to make you a slave. I mean, we can work you to death. We can get something out of you, you know, just putting you down. That, that's not... This is not beneficial to us. So they could have put you in a galley. They could have put you in a work detail. They could have done all these things. But this guy is so violent. He's so, uh, he's so hated by his own culture that they condemn him and put him to die. He's angry. He's spiteful. The more that he thinks about it in his own life as he's in that prison cell, the matter that he gets. And you know what's the worst scenario of this? The moment that they come to get him out of that jail cell, he realizes he doesn't even get to be the highlight of the moment. He finds out that there's two other guys that are going to be crucified with him, another criminal and this carpenter-turned-rabbi. They make their way to the hill. The religious leaders think, we have done it now. <laughs> you know, we did it. This Jesus will hush now. People will see. We've got rid of him. The Roman government says to themselves, they're like, yeah, you know, this is such a good moment for us. Let's take this little rabbi, and we're going to put a sign over his head, and we're going to let everybody know this is what happens to you if you proclaim or you want anybody to proclaim that you're a king in the Roman Empire. even though we know that Pilate doesn't believe that he's guilty. This moment's setting up. It's full of tension. It's full of fear. I mean, there's pain. There's suffering. And as Luke explains it to us, we get to this pivotal moment to where these three are hanging on a cross, and this criminal has the audacity 12 feet away to begin mocking Jesus as the crowd mocked. And he tells him, <laughs> he said, well, if God is so good and you are the Messiah, why are you on a cross? Life doesn't make sense. That makes sense. If you're of God, why are you on the cross? Because I know why I'm on the cross. I've killed, I've stolen, I've done all these other things, whatever the crime that he did that put him in that position. I've done all these things. You tell me, Jesus. If you're the Messiah, why don't you get down from here? Let your God get you down. Oh, in the meantime, if he's that powerful, why don't you let us go down too? And then Luke throws us the greatest twist. This is, this is it. Then Luke says that this other criminal, <laughs> he's listening. He's watching. He's turning. And in his scenario, it's totally different. Because just a few moments before, when they were yelling at him and cursing, when they, were, when they were spitting upon him, he begins to hear this rabbi mumbling under his breath these words. 
And he's listening. And he's not cursing them. He's not, you know, he's not screaming for somebody to get him down. He's not doing anything. The words that this guy hears is forgive them. What? No. They don't deserve forgiveness, do they? Jesus was the... He was the lamb. He was in their midst. He had healed the sick. He had taken the blind. He had made people to walk. He had brought people in and given them hope that nobody else had ever given before. How in the world are you going to forgive them? And this criminal's mind. He says, there's got to be something to this guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what it is, but I know that you don't need to be up here. We deserve it. But you didn't. And he looks at Jesus. And with everything going, he gives a, a plea. Because that's really what it is. A request. See, and I was sharing this with my wife last night. This is my terminology. It's probably not a good one. For all of Israel's history, holiness of God was unapproachable. It was hidden away. It was somewhere hidden behind this great, this, this great cover. And once a year, and you know how they did, they would send in and make the, 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 the sacrifice for the people. But now all of a sudden, these two men are standing in front of approachable holiness. It's within their grasp. They can see him. They can hear him. They can feel it. For the first time in their, their lives, they're both confronted. And, and one is looking at it and he says, for, for spite, God must not be good because the condition of my life is what it is right now. And the other one says, God has to be good because this man, who's done nothing, still has a relationship with his father. And he looks and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your now, folks, I'm a, I can be a weeper now. <laughs> the older I get, I didn't used to. I've imagined that scene over and over again because I don't know if you feel uncomfortable in holiness, but I do. When you're around real holiness, because you know what? The enemy, the devil, will start pointing out everything in your life that you have not done right. Every thought you had, every action, every inaction, every bit of it. And so the first thing you want to do is take two steps back. Say, hey. And there he was. This Jesus. This guy who says, hey, just remember me because I have no right to ask you for anything. I'm going to be, I'm going, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to be just cast into a pile. You know, that's what they were going to do to him. They were going to cast them outside of the city into a garbage pile and leave them because the Roman government would not have given them permission by anybody to have taken them down. And there he is. And Jesus, the scenario is that he's turning to tell Jesus the bodies are weak, they are, they're becoming feverish, they're dehydrated. All these medical things that are happening is going on this moment. And he looks toward Jesus and he asks him to remember him and Jesus looks at this man, and what does he say? Today. Ah, today you will be with me in paradise. Because you know why? The condition of your life right now 
doesn't explain the love your heavenly father has for you. So the moment that we equate when good things are good, God is good. And when things are not good, God is not so good. It's not true. It's not the condition of our life that changes the way that Jesus is in love with us. And that's how come. That's how come none of us are immune to what happens in life. You know, you can love Jesus with all of your heart. You can be faithful to this church and you can still go to the doctor and get a diagnosis that is not what you want to hear. But it doesn't change the love your heavenly father has for you. It doesn't. How do we know that? It didn't Jesus, did it? The condition of our life doesn't equate whether God's in love with us or not. Today, I invite you to do this. At some point today, I want you to think about one of the great struggles in your life, a bad moment. A moment where everything came down uh, around you, you know, on that moment. And, you, and we all have them. I told you, my father, was, he was the most godly man that I have ever known in my life. But in 1997, I had just gotten married. And I walked into a hospital in Meridian, Mississippi. And we came out, and my father was diagnosed with non-Hoskins lymphoma and was given two years to live. Held his hand when he took his last breath. And my God was in love with him. And my God's in love with me. And he's in love with you. And we come this Lent, love like never before. So when things in life don't look exactly like you want them to look, your Heavenly Father's still in love with you. And all we have to say is remember me. Just remember me. Oh, what does Jesus say? Today is your day. Today is your day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for this moment. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear you again. Lord, we know that in our life we can confuse it. We can start listening to voices that are not true. But you are in love with us no matter what happens in life. And you call us to follow you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us. In this, your holy name we pray. Amen. Now, I invite you to stand as we close together.